0: Uh, before I get into the message today, I, I thought I'd tell you about just—you probably can't see that—just uh, what we're doing next year. Um, there's this book called *The Whole Life, Whole Bible*. Uh, it was—it's published by LICC, which is the London Institute of Christian Contemporary Christianity. Yes, I got it right. Uh, and this is a journey through Scripture in 50 readings. So what they've tried to do. Uh, is actually go through the whole of Scripture in 50 readings. So that might range from one verse to five verses or whatever, but what they've tried to do is actually get the story so we can understand the whole Bible uh, in as much as we can do in a year. Um, So hopefully by the end of it, we'll have this full picture of Scripture. Uh, It, of course, still calls on each of us to read the Bible, uh, but hopefully we'll be trying to help with this... um, throughout the year, so there's 50 readings, so roughly a year, maybe a bit longer, depends on the holidays and things, but we'll be, sorry? Uh, not not necessarily, no, no, it won't be won't be chronological, so what we're trying to do is get an idea of scripture, so that was more digging into who God is, more of the Trinity, more of how that works and things like that, so actually uh, we're going to go through and it will just tell us how to understand scripture. Um so, of course, we'd love to do the whole Bible, but that can't fit in. We'd have to do that over five years or something. So, just trying to you know, get you more of an encouragement to get us engaged with the Word and the whole of Scripture a lot more. Alongside that, um, once a month we're aiming to meet, uh, and that might be to do um, breakfast on a Saturday, or maybe an evening meal together. Um, but then we're looking at this uh, book called Discipleship Essentials. Uh, So what we've been doing over this year is all about discipleship. Now, that should not be forgotten. So what we'll do is once a month, we'll actually put that into the once-a-month meeting that we'll have together, Uh, and actually this more looks at um, how to get away from a Sunday-centric church. Um, And actually now we look to how we apply it. How do we go out uh, and do that? How do we disciple people correctly? in the way Jesus did that and so once a month we'll meet to do that and there's all sorts of studies in here that we'll go through uh, and it's likely to be um, probably two years uh, this works out in the studies but uh, we'll take our time there's no need to rush in this so we'll meet together and we'll just go over what uh, the challenges in each one and uh, we'll we'll give that out as we go uh, so you can have a whole month to look at it and see what God is saying to each of us so We'll publish more as we get towards uh, before the new year, and we'll we'll publish the calendar as well, what we're looking to do uh, for next year. And we'll definitely plan more in advance for all those things we've been doing this year uh, and put dates in this time. So uh, just to give you an idea of what's happening uh, next time, so we're just really looking into trying to make sure we stick with Scripture and study that, because that's always good, but at the same time, how do we make Scripture uh, applicable in that sense in our daily lives, and that's a discipleship element that will run alongside uh, how we learn about Scripture. So hopefully that's a good. This Greg Ogden guy is pretty good. He's got other books out, and he's, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's just got a great idea about how to move away from Sundays, as it were, and actually into a more discipleship, every day of the week kind of living. So probably more expanded on fruitfulness on the front line type stuff, uh, much more in-depth. So we'll be looking at that. But what are we looking at today? Today we look at the two 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 principle. Uh, and this is quite a common principle in Christian teaching, Christian circles. You may not have heard of it, um, but it's uh, Timothy two uh, versus, it is verses one to two, but it is Timothy two uh, two sorry two, Timothy two, two. Yeah Neing Mr. Two out. Okay two Timothy two two. But what we do to get some context is we'll, we'll look at one and two just to understand what this means. So really what this is going to do is just sum up what we've been looking at this whole year and what discipleship really means. Um, We've heard about this year about how the the qualities and the characteristics that make a disciple and also seeing the journey of the disciples themselves with Jesus. So let's look at this verse, or these two verses, of of what this all hangs on. Uh, Before that, two points we're looking at. Sufficiency and entrusted. Um, How sufficient... Do we, uh, where, where is our sufficiency? Is it in God or is it in things? Do we trust God to deliver what he says he will or do we try and do that ourselves? And we'll be looking at that. Entrusted in that we are entrusted messengers of the gospel. That we are entrusted uh, as gospel messengers and we'll look at that point too. So let's look at the verse. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 1-2 says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So I thought on these, I thought I'd do a kind of a part exposition of these verses. What, what is it that uh, Paul is trying to say to Timothy? What is it he is entrusting him with? And what is he telling him to trust in in the first place? and hopefully this will give us some reflection on us and how we then carry out uh, and be the messengers of the gospel so insufficiency paul begins this instructional sorry I'm just getting over a cold uh, paul begins this instructional portion of the letter by emphasizing the need for personal empowerment for ministry uh, paul is not appealing to timothy to pull himself together He's not just saying, come on, pull yourself together, get a grip. Just get on with it. He's not doing that at all. He's not saying, get a grip on, on your emotions on co- and courage in his own strength. He's not telling him, do this in your own strength. He just, get on with it. What's the thing that we, it, rightly, we shouldn't be saying anymore? Man up. A terrible thing to say, man up. A terrible thing to say. It may have been... Something that was acceptable in the past. But what does being a man mean? What does being a woman mean in these times? Certainly as a Christian, what does that mean? We have to be really careful with the words we say. But he's not telling Timothy. He's not saying to Timothy, man up. Come on, get on with it. He's actually being instructional. He's actually helping him to understand that it's not in his own strength that he's going to achieve what he's about to, or go on to, to achieve. That he can only do that strengthened in Jesus Christ. But still, the calling to Timothy is, isn't one that automatically happens to him. Timothy still has to make the active and clear choice to be responsible in taking up the action, to be strong in grace in going forward with what he has been entrusted with. He has been entrusted and asked to, commanded to, you might say, but he can still choose to say, that seems a bit too hard for me. And let me say this, this is too hard for us. Which is why we don't do it in our own strength. We talk about this in Christian circles or Christianese. This is what we mean in our own strength. We don't go around trying to put as much of our own strength into things. Instead, we want to fall back on God and say, God, you can give me the words to say, you can give me the strength to lead me into what I need to do. Trusting in him. Is God sufficient in each of our lives? Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Mentioned twice in this verse is to do. To do. Not that it is done in that sense, not that it is done for you or for me, It is to go and do. God has prepared works ahead and he says, now you go and do the works I have prepared for you. It is not so we just stand back and say, well, God's doing it, isn't he? Yes, he is doing it. But he wants us to be part of it. We are Christians and he's called us to be part of the family. He's called us to be part of an amazing movement of truth. That is Jesus Christ. It's this quote here. We are 100% dependent on God, while at the same time 100% responsible to complete the good work God has prepared for us in Christ Jesus. We are dependent on God, but we are responsible for the work that we do. In Genesis, we have been given the responsibility of what God has created We don't own it by any means. But God has given us responsibility. It's no wonder the planet is in the state that it's in, because he's, in his grace, allowed us as these kind of imperfect people to be responsible for our actions. What we do has an impact. And in his grace, he allows it. But Timothy is called by Paul be strengthened by and abide in the vine of Christ Jesus. Not in his own strength, but in the sufficient strength of Christ. When Peter made the declaration to Jesus that he would die with Jesus, what Peter did was to be sufficient in his own strength. What he did when he made that bold statement was not that he was being necessarily driven by the Holy Spirit to say that, or by anything in that sense, but actually he was driven by much more of a bolshie, I'm going to die with you militant approach. He says this, he says in Matthew twenty six thirty five. but Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you, and all the other disciples said the same. Not only Peter, all the other disciples said they would do that. And yet Jesus says, before that, that's not going to happen because where you're coming from is not a place of the strength in God, it's a place of your own strength. You're trusting in yourself to die for me. You're trusting in yourself that you will go with me to the very end. And he says this because what happens is, he quotes Zechariah. Because what he's trying to tell them is, It's more than just being bolshy. It's more than just making big grand statements in the joy or the heat of the moment. And so when Jesus prepares the disciples for what he refers to as falling away from him, he uses this verse in Zechariah 13, verse 7. There's only one section he uses, and it's strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But the whole context of this is awake sword against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered and I will turn my hand against the little ones. What is helpful to us is the fact that this section actually continues to speak about a refinement of God's people. Let it never be said that when Jesus quoted Scripture, it was out of context. Let's go on and read what this section of Scripture says. Zechariah thirteen, eight 8-9 In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one-third will be left in it. This third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver, test them like gold. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is our God. Can you see the reflection of what's about to happen here? The reason why Jesus quotes this, this is my own personal view of studying this, is that what the... The disciples are about to go through is fire. They're about to be tested when he gets taken away. They're about to be tested when he gets arrested. They're going to be tested when He is killed. There's a refinement going on. Then there's all sorts of doubt, isn't there? There's all sorts of doubt after Jesus dies of what's going to happen next. Let it never be said that Jesus misquotes Scripture. But the principle being drawn out that Peter in particular misses here is that an emotionally charged response is not sufficient in dealing with the testing and refinement that will follow after Jesus is arrested or as he even ascends to the Father. It is not enough to make the statement that a dedicated, the Lord is my God, I will call upon his name even in the midst of fire. So instead, just like Paul calls in Timothy to be sufficient in the strength that is a grace in Christ Jesus, so the disciples as a whole are called upon to be refined by fire. So that their pledge, even our pledge to Jesus, will be in calling on the name of Jesus in his strength to go about the mission ahead of us. So we are to be empowered, be enabled, be strengthened inwardly. Much like a car needs petrol. This analogy, by the way, used to be much like a car needs petrol, and then you'd say what it is. Now we've got all sorts of fuels, haven't we? So now it's much like a car needs petrol, gas, or electricity, So we need to be empowered, filled with the Holy Spirit to go and do. Timothy is to choose to let God's grace and the power of it give him the strength he needs. And this term of strength that this talks about uh, is very important. This word, endunamo, get it right, endunamo, And this word means strength, there's a lot of... If you look up this word on the internet, um, just on its own, what you'll get is loads of um, exercise videos and gym things, companies and brands and all sorts, it's very weird. Uh, But it means strength, it means to be strong. But in this uh, actual context, the term that it's... the way it's using here is actually passive. It's a passive context in these verses. And it's to mean the source of strength comes from an independent source. Not from me, not from any of us, that we can generate our own strength, but from a strength from outside that we cannot control, but actually that we receive this great strength. So it actually uses this passive context. And specifically it talks about the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. But just to be clear, this is not the passive power of the Holy Spirit need to be clear, this is not the Holy Spirit that is passive. This is us who need to be passive in order to receive the strength and active strength of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Uh, if the ho- I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is passive by any means. This is the power that rose the dead from the grave. But we need to be passive in order to receive this active power of the Holy Spirit, just like the gospel is a double-edged sword. But we must pacify our own strength so we receive the power of the Holy Spirit and be active in his strength. This helps us to understand maybe John 3 verse 30 that says he must become greater, I must become less. My strength will not achieve anything. My own determination as it will, not not in determi- determination in God, but my own determination just to keep going will not be enough. That will not be honouring God. Actually, I must become less and allow God, allow God through the Holy Spirit to lead me and be my strength. So now we start to see that the strength that the disciples had in enduring punishment and affliction as they went forward into Acts, the apostles, was not an active strength but they learn how to rely upon and have sufficiency in the strength that comes from God by being passive in their own strength. This is very hard for us. Very difficult not to want to get things done. I hate that term. Get things done. Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all things, not in my own strength, but from him who gives me strength. External, feeding me. See how it works? There's a much better translation. And it and it's the amplified version. Let me be clear, this is kind of a if you know the message Bible, it's kind of like a precursor to that. It was like a the version a message version. But this is really helpful because it actually tries to help you define what that term means. And it says. I can do all things, and in the brackets it's got, it's in brackets for a reason to make sure it's not scripture. And it says, Which he has called me to do, through him who strengthens and empowers me. To fulfill his purpose, I am self sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. It's a good definition, isn't it? Helps us to understand. How do I do things in God's strength and not my own? Well, my self-sufficiency is in Christ's sufficiency. He is enough for me. That's what we're being taught here. That's as disciples we're being asked to accept. Will I accept Christ is sufficient enough or will I try and battle against that sufficiency and say mine is more, I'm better, I can have much better ideas a way of doing things. This quote here. If we rely on ourselves and natural strength to accomplish spiritual, supernatural work, we are doomed to work the futility at best and failure at worst. These quotes are from good teachers, by the way. I wouldn't have put them up there otherwise. So we actively choose to take up the command of making disciples, but we accomplish it only by being passive in our strength and allow the active strength of the Holy Spirit to reign and to empower us. Another quote here from someone, we can't do unless he first does. Guess what? He first did. And it is done, but we must now do. I should have added to that. But Jesus has gone ahead. He's done the thing that needs to be done so that we can go and do. So what's this thing that he is entrusted with? What's the doing he has entrusted us with? Timothy was entrusted with the mission to go and entrust to others the power and the treasure of the gospel. But only because ultimately Timothy had trust in Christ Jesus. What Paul tells Timothy to do, in effect, is to make disciples who make disciples. In verse 2 of our reading, Paul effectively refers to four generations of... Of discipling. It goes like this, Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others. You read that verse there's four generations of discipling going on. Such a small piece of scripture but such an amazing picture of what's being drawn here in it you must go and make other people like you who believe in Jesus and trust in him so that they may go and make other people who believe in Jesus and trust in him and so on, and so on, and so on. How does this work? You may have seen this before. So There's there's an error on year 10, by the way, but let's ignore that for now. Um, This is a chart that shows the two different ways of bringing people to Christ. The evangelist is the Church of, as I put it, the church of the hard-working preacher. This is the one person that goes out and goes and talks to people about Jesus and gets them to or, or presents them with the opportunity to make a decision and follow Jesus. The discipler is the disciple-making church. In that, it's not just one person who stands at the front. It's not just the leader. It is all of them in the church that go and make disciples. And what you'll find is in the early years, I think that's really disappointing. The evangelist uh, clearly wins out every time. And it's only when we get to year 13 that really any impact has been made by the discipling church. For many churches, this is scary. This would scare the wits out of them. What you're asking here is to say, don't follow this evangelist method anymore, because all it's going to do at some point is limit our ability to make disciples. It brings believers, but will it create, make, and continue to develop disciples? Actually, it diminishes. The discipler method, if you want to call it that, or the principle, is that it keeps increasing, because not only is it one person, speaking about Jesus. There are 10 people speaking about Jesus. There are 15 people speaking about Jesus, speaking to another 15 people. And then 30 people speaking to 30 people. And then 60 people speaking to 60 people. You see how this works. What we're doing here is making disciples. The method is slow, but it's on purpose. Because the the believing is probably the easiest part in many ways. Once people get to the point where they can go, I believe that Jesus died for me. Amazing moment. But quite often, churches generally, including us, may have made the mistake of allowing people just to drift afterwards. Not discipling them, not coming alongside them and saying, now we can focus on the intention and the mission that God has for you. How do we do that and how do we serve one another? We get alongside and we get into discipling one another. That's how we do it. The disciple would win one person per year and spend the year discipling that person to maturity in Christ, which includes reproduction. At the end of the first year, the same disciple would win another person and follow the same process. So whilst we, we worry about going out and let's tell as many people as possible, are we discipling people though? Are we actually just saying, is there a person that God is trying to focus my energy onto and my time onto? And yes, we must be careful about who and which people we say, actually, I need to let them go. Maybe that person isn't really going to respond. Maybe that person isn't responding to my discipling. And that's fine too, because I believe God will find them another person. They'll find them another disciple who will come alongside them. We trust in him. He's sufficient enough to trust. So actually, who is the one person? Even we're saying I'm going to spend, I'm going to invest my time in this person. They want to know about God and how to be a disciple. We spend so much time trying to convince half of Welling, Bexley Heath, Borough Bexley, believe in God. Yeah, that's great, great for the evangelists. What happens afterwards? Where do we carry people forward? How do we take them to be a disciple of Jesus? The point here is that the easier, less effective method brings in less disciples. The easier method is less disciples. Believers, certainly, but maybe not going forward to be discipled. It might be more believers, but all uh, who can be disciples, but ultimately if we do not invest as Jesus did, then no fruit will be born. Interestingly, the most effective effective method is the hardest. But not only brings people to faith, it then ensures they continue to grow and mature in that faith. Timothy is called to trust that the huge mission he's about to embark would only be accomplished if he trusted in the God that had the mission for him in the first place. We trust in each of us in small or big ways that God's saying, go and do this. Saying, that's scary. I'm scared to do that. Go and speak to this person. Go and invite them into a relationship. Speak to them about God. But trust in God. I've had many, many stories of some great, I can only describe as as overwhelmingly connected with the Holy Spirit, in amazing moments of some real gifted Holy Spirit Christians who have just got this gift to hear in the moment what to do and to say to people and some astonishing stories of people being told by a Christian sitting at the bar they don't know. Don't do what you're about to do. You're about to cheat on your wife. Flattens the guy and he falls off his chair. The woman you're about to meet, don't meet her. God knows what you're doing and he doesn't want you to do it. I mean, I've never experienced that level of connection, but my goodness, it's open to everyone. We need to connect and know that the sufficiency of God is sufficient. We need to know that we've been entrusted with this great promise. Psalm 145, uh, verse 4 says, One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. You know, this is what we do, isn't it? When we, uh, when we hear people's testimonies, uh, when you go to events or other churches, this is people commending what they're doing to others, to share so that the next generation will carry on. The next generation will be inspired by the great workings of God. And it's so vitally important that we pass on to others. Uh, what we pass on to others comes from a place of trust that we had first. When we disciple, we are, not, we are not commenting on how to become a disciple. We are not just offering some advice as if disconnected or learned from a book. We're passing on what we've been taught and continue to learn in our own faith with God. Those to be entrusted with the message must be faithful, reliable and trustworthy. This quote here, for those who will not swerve aside because of fear or favour, who will not compromise with the spirit of the age through which they are passing. My goodness, that's hard. Every single day, in every single way, we are tempted and influenced by the world around us to not speak the word of God, to not live out in the way that God wants us to live out. We are tempted to follow, and yet in the spirit of this age, we are said we don't want to be in the spirit of this age but we want the Holy Spirit. And we want people to know that Jesus comes in peace. He comes because he wants to welcome people into the kingdom of heaven. What is going to be happening in this church next year, and most certainly years after that, will need us to trust in the Lord, in what he has entrusted to us. Not only that, the biggest challenge set to face this church as it faces up to its mission, will most certainly be to not swerve away because of fear and favour. It'll be so easy to jump into the mode of church next year. It'll be so easy that when many people might come here, and it would be so easy to be all churchy and we'll tick the boxes that the world has set for us. That's a church because it does this. That's a church because it does that. What they're never going to say is, that's a church because it follows the word of God. The world will never say that, and it will never acknowledge that. So when we act that way and behave that way, what will happen is we will come up against opposition. Because we are not ticking the boxes the world has set for church. Instead, we are following the model of Acts and what Jesus has laid down for us. Whilst all are welcome to come to this church, and we always welcome people, we must be clear that we want to and love to speak about Jesus. We cannot hide away from that fact that we want them to come into a relationship with Jesus. We can do all the great things that we do. We can do all the wonderful things that we do. But within that, we must show this love that Jesus has for all people. Telling the story of the birth of Jesus. Simple, but it's effective. If all you say is the story of the birth of Jesus, Scripture can speak for itself. We are entrusted with the message of God to be clear and unhindered in sharing the gospel in whatever form that takes, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. But not that that form or circumstance muddies the message, not that that form or circumstance distracts us from the message. That we will not swerve away from it. Instead, that that message has application in every form and circumstance. Message stays true, but it can be applied in every circumstance, in every way that we act towards other people, especially those that are lost. We don't seek opportunity to make the gospel relevant, we seek opportunity because the gospel is relevant. We've drifted as churches into this mold of saying, of begging, Oh, the Bible is relevant, I promise, I promise the desperation in trying to make it relevant. Oh, my word. Oh, Lord, forgive us for that. This is the power of God's word we're talking about. It is not a book to be debated over. Yes, we will have discussion, we will have conversation, and long may that continue. It's Great to build each other up. But don't think for a second that somehow we can make anything justifiable in this text that isn't already justified by God, as if we have some sort of power that God has. God's word is God's word. It is authority, it is power. God operates without us, but wants us. He doesn't need us, but he invites us. It is a difference between being self-powered and empowered. It is the call to be trustworthy, so to be entrusted. And I've seen immense change in this church and now everyone is trusting more and more in the Lord and their God-given gifts to be disciple-makers. And it's great to see. It's great that we're starting to see an operation, God operating and people allowing God to lead us into our giftings. We are all gearing up for the new season of the future disciples that are about to walk through these doors. What God has ready to unleash in this place, for the sake of those that are yet to know him and already know him, will only happen if we choose to take responsibility in the same way Timothy did. The charge is constantly there, the command is constantly, go and make disciples, will I take up the baton? Because the next generation needs to take it on also. We are entrusted and have responsibility to carry this treasure, that is the word, to others so that they may carry it forward. So our greatest desire should be in being pleasing to him, pleasing to God, and to see the word and the spirit raise up faithful believers, be able to teach others also. Not simply teach them a Bible study, that's fine, but truly making disciples obeying the commander-in-chief's commands. How will we do that? That is with trusting in God, even when it seems like we're going out on a limb. Even when it seems like something will not pay off, we trust in him in that moment. If something doesn't seem to make sense, but we, we feel something through the Holy Spirit that is just prompting us. We start that in prayer. If God's pr- prompting us in prayer to say something because he needs the church to hear something. Will be bold, loving, yes, gracious, yes. But will we say it so that we can each be built up? That's what we need as a church. That's how churches operate to build each other up. There's this quote from the Daily Bread, and it says, "Think of yourselves as a link in the living chain that extends from time from the time Jesus lived on earth to the present. We must keep that chain strong by telling others about Him, so that the gospel will reach to future." generations. So here's where I'm going to finish. The six keys, the final thing to bring this all together. What is discipleship? I don't like lists, but we're going to do a list. Six things. First one, have a high view of the gospel. Romans tells us that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. When we share the gospel the Lord will save souls. A clear understanding of the Great Commission. The Lord's assignment was not to go and make converts, it was to go and make disciples. This command is repeated in all four Gospels over and over again, including the book of Acts. Three, reject the concept of the professional Christian. What does that mean? Sharing the gospel and making disciples is not reserved for pastors, evangelists and missionaries. Every Christian has been given this awesome responsibi- responsibility and privilege to go and share the gospel and to make disciples. That's not a message that's compatible with churches today. It's not, it's not church-friendly to say that we all do the work because in our hearts my goodness, I can tell you my past and say, I want the leader to do it. I want just to appreciate what he's done and I'll give him some thanks now and again and I'll really support him but you know what, that's his job. Got to get past that and that's not a popular thing to make a church popular. We all must have a part in making disciples. Fourth, that's the wrong one. Right. Fourth point, a love for people. No need to explain this. Have a love for people as God has love for people. A love for the Word of God. Have a love for the Word of God as God is love. And finally, and most importantly, the necessity of prayer. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And someone once phrased this, this principle Before we speak to men about God, we must speak to God about men. People. Change that with people. Our work with others cannot be accomplished in the flesh. We need the Lord's power and must seek that through specific, persistent and intense prayer. My hope for next year is that we will pray into this more intently. We need to pray about the people that we will be reaching. Because every decision we make, every word we say, every every action that we take will have an impact on everyone that walks through this door. Every person we interact with in the community. So how do we do that? How do we know how to behave? We come to God and say, God, what about people? Who are these people you've directed us to? How should we engage with them? That above all will be our determination next year. Yes, study. Yes, learn. My Lord, 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 we need to pray. Oh, we so need to pray over these next few years. I'm going to pray now. And then we're going to finish with a blessing. Lord, we want to thank you that you are... the plan from beginning to end that you have everything sewn up as it were, but Lord within that you allow us to be part of what you have entrusted us with you allow us not only to receive and to learn about who you are to receive the Holy Spirit to be saved but also to go and tell others about who you are, to disciple the next disciple. Lord, I pray today that we'll just be thinking and talking about churches in general, Lord, that we, and I don't intend this uh, to be like this, but Lord, that we keep away from judgment with other churches. Lord, forgive me if that's what has been said, if I've said that today, but Lord, I don't mean it that way, Lord. I I just want to say to you today that we, we have to look at how we do discipling. What is it to be a disciple? Oh, Lord, I know pretty much, as much as I can engage with you for the Holy Spirit, I'm not here to be a caretaker. I'm not here just to make things tick over. But, Lord... None of us are here to make things just tick over. We're here for a mission of God. To tell people around us that you exist, you are real, and there is a peace waiting for them. There is love, there is heaven, there is eternal life waiting for them. For those that choose, repent, believe in Jesus, our Lord. Guide us as we engage in how to be effective disciples for the kingdom of heaven. Lord, help us to put our needs last and others first. Help us to be more Jesus-like as we go forward, Lord. Help us to be those little Christians, those little Christs, children of God. Lord, we thank you for grace. We thank you that you forgive us. We come back to you and say, Lord, we've we've not chosen the right path today. not chosen or made the right decision today. But Lord, we thank you that we can come and represent you. That we have this amazing opportunity to be messengers of the gospel. Perfect gospel represented by imperfect people. And that's only possible because of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord. Jesus Christ died and rose again. Praise your name today, Lord. We thank you for who you are. Amen.